Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Ooh. Almanac. And yes, I know that technically Halloween was the last night, but I had this episode ready to go and ready for you guys. I just didn't have any time to upload it. That's not Stitch. Surprisingly, that's a ghost dog. So, consider this your day after Halloween, but it's still Halloween to me. Paranormal episode. Now, let's take a look at some bizarre and interesting real ghost stories. It's that, That's right, it's a ghost variety hour. Because for the next hour, we have a modge podge of ghost stories that hopefully you haven't heard before. Okay, it's getting a little too loud there, crazy bats. That hopefully you haven't heard before, but before I get to that, I've gotten a few bad reviews this past week or so, such as a too many ads review. Well, there were no ads on the last episode, and that's the one that they were referring to. So I find that some of these reviews are obvious bullshit done by, I'm, a, I'm guessing, other paranormal podcasts trying to discredit Paranormal Almanac for whatever reason. Because some of the reviews have been so specifically bullshit that you obviously didn't listen to the episode. You obviously have never listened to Paranormal Almanac. But they felt the need to go after Paranormal Almanac. So I don't know how to help that idiot about, like, there's too many ads when there were zero ads. But the next couple of reviews stated that it took too long to get to the topic at hand. Again, very specific, the fact that there's two back-to-back. So let me tell you how this show works before we actually get into it. First, I say hi, I'm welcome, I'm Kurt Sandvig, and you're listening to Paranormal Almanac. Then, I shout out the patrons, because without the patrons, there would be no show. It's not that long. I'm very quick with it. In fact, I'm going to time it this week so we can find out how long it takes for me to shout out the patrons. Then, it's Paranormal News. Then... The topic for the episode at hand. So skip away if, I don't know, seven minutes of paranormal news bugs you so much. And you know what? Speaking of all of this crap, I would love it. Hold on. Come on, girl. I'm shouting out people. I would love it if you could leave a review and rate the show on whatever podcast thing you get your podcast on. Whether that be Apple or... I don't know if anybody gets stuff through Apple anymore, but whether it be Apple or Podbean or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts, if you could do me a favor and leave a hopefully good review to battle some of these BS reviews that I've been getting lately for apparently no reason. So if you could do that, I would absolutely love that. And with that, let's get to shoutouts. That's right, it is shoutouts time. So get ready 
to start the timer. Aaron, Aaron, ah, monsters. Lauren and David, Alicia, Amber, Andrew, Angie, Ariel, Austin, Seth, Autumn, Carolyn, Chuck, Cole, Damian, Dan, Daniel, Devin, Dill, Drake, Edgar, Elliot, Erica, Fabian, Harley, Harvey, Heidi, J Mark, Jade, Jaime, Jason, Jeff, Jenny, Jennifer, Jerry, Jim, Joe, John, Joshua, Joshua, Judy, Juliana, Catherine, Kelsey, Kenny, Kira, Kyle, Kyle, Laura, Laura, Laura Rutho, Laura McCune, hey, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay, M. Caballero, Maggie, hey Maggie, Martin, Matt, Megan, Megan, Milo, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Paula, Peaches the Cat, love Peaches the Cat, uh, Rachel, Reed, Richard, Rosa, Sage, Sarah, Sarah, Sean, Shelly, Stacy, Sunny, Suzanne, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Travis, Trey, Troy, Veronica, and Vincente. Boom! Not even one minute. 59 seconds and 59.12 seconds. And I'm actually gonna edit that a little bit, speed it up even more, so when you guys hear it, it won't even be 58 seconds. So again, reviewers, if you can't handle listening to me shout out names for less than a minute, well, I guess you can skip ahead or, in my opinion, suck it up because again, without these people, there would be no Paranormal Almanac. Alrighty, with that, let's get over to Paranormal News. Ghost demons that haunt the night. Strange objects fly through the sky Shadow people are spending the night again I got children knock on my door A portal to hell opens in my room Time travel man says the world is changing soon Once again, that Paranormal Almanac News or Paranormal News theme song was done by Buzz Lee. If you would like to send me your own Paranormal News theme song, I would absolutely love it. Send it on over to ParanormalAlmanac at gmail.com. I would love to have a variety of amazing Paranormal News jingles. I've got a few of them already. I'm just kind of stuck on buzzes right now because it blows me away every time. But send it on over, Paranormal News. Nope, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. The first story in paranormal news, I'm a skeptic who stayed at a haunted hotel and I still can't believe what happened. That's right, this one came from Beth Greenfield on Yahoo and she says, when I told my coworkers that I'd be open to staying in an allegedly haunted B&B just to see what happens, they were pretty freaked out. What if something crazy happens, they asked. Aren't you scared? She says the truth was she was not. She goes on to talk about all the scary stuff that she was afraid of, but she wanted to stay at the historic Carpe Diem guest house in Provincetown, Massachusetts on the tip of Cape Cod, where it was first a private home, but has then been operating as a guest house since the early 1960s. Before that, it was a lodging house and in the 40s and 50s, a funeral home. So here's what happened to her. The ghost is, um, the ghost that haunts the place is a person named, is a ghost named Kevin. The story is that Kevin had a case of pneumonia, and rather than going and getting medical assistance, he made himself a homebrew to try and treat it. Apparently, that didn't work very well and killed him. Paul Graves and his partner Stephen Hooper bought the inn. They were told different stories. They have remained pretty consistent. The things that people talk about, 
uh, is all about this guy, Kevin. And it's a regular stop on the Provincetown Ghost Tour, which apparently you can take to this day and go and check out this place, this Carpe Diem guest house. It, sounds, it seems kind of cool. But since the day he died, anything that has been unexplained has been attributed to Kevin. Poor Kevin. So the, the employees of Carpe Diem say that they've experienced a strong sense of being watched, particularly in the basement, and also hearing mysterious noises, televisions going on and off, fans changing speed of their own volition, the sound of people running or falling when no one was around to be the cause, and one guest complained of hearing vacuuming above her room at midnight, even though there was no room, only a roof on that higher floor. They also hear the sounds of whispering in their ears or endless strange nightmares. Sometimes I'm folding laundry and I see shadows, says Sophia, who's worked at the inn for seven years and lives in a room in the basement. She says a dark shadow just walks by. I thought it was a person. Then I learned it's just Kevin. The previous owner said they heard things breaking when they would go upstairs, there would be nothing there. Now, this person, Sophia, she said, Kevin is a friendly guy. I'm not scared. And the owners say, Kevin is not an unpleasant person at all. He seems to be a bit particular about the way things are done, which is perhaps not unusual for someone who is an innkeeper. He is not at all a threatening presence. So this woman, what was her name? Crap, I already forgot it. So this woman, Beth, checked into the William Shakespeare room. She said it, she chose it because it's allegedly the most haunted of the 18 rooms there, so if you want a very haunted room, ask for the William Shakespeare room. She says there was a storm brewing over the bay, creating a perfect gray-green light to creep through the windows. So what exactly happened to her? Well, before bedtime, I watched some of the ghost hunting shows on TV, try and get in the mood. Then I turned out the lights, turned on my camcorder, and began speaking directly to Kevin, trying not to patronize, and instead of asking him questions. Are you here? Do you like this room? Why do you hang around? She says, I didn't hear anything. I didn't feel anyone's presence. I got on the covers and tried to sleep, which I did. Then the next morning, she says, she checked out all well and good. And it wasn't until the producer of this segment sent her a bit of her recording. Because remember, she was recording the whole night. So she listened to it and she said, what I heard gave me chills. I had my family listen, then my coworkers, and they all heard it too. Some throwing down their headphones in stunned fear. I have no idea what the voice was and I'm definitely less skeptical than when I went in, but I had a nagging question. Why would a ghost have to communicate so randomly and quietly in a way only picked up by a recording? So what did that voice say to her? Well, very simply, the ghost voice said, I'm here. So it sounds to me that Beth had an actual EVP encounter, possibly with Kevin. Regardless of if it was Kevin or not, is a really neat story, and I really liked it because it was a skeptic's view of the paranormal. Okay, next up in paranormal news, ghost sightings as explained by science. Ghosts are real is an extremely common belief, one held by 45% of Americans according to a recent YouGov poll. That's just slightly less than the percentage, 56, of Americans who believe in a biblical God. But what about the rest of the country? That would be the skeptics in varying degrees. So Yahoo asked a bunch of scientists, particularly those in the backgrounds of psychology, what the heck people were thinking or seeing or what was happening. For over 200 years, many people, even scientists, have sought evidence of ghosts and life after death. There are millions of pages of research and blah, 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 blah. So what did the psychologists say? Why do so many people believe in ghosts? Well, they say it's the power of context and belief. The two most powerful psychological factors implicated in hauntings are context and belief. According to Christopher French, a professor of psychology and head of the Anomalistic Psychology Research Unit at the University of London. So if a person expects a place to be haunted, 
then they'll more likely see it that way. Studies show that if people are told that a location is haunted, they report more anomalous experiences. Senses of presence, shivers down the spine, changes the temperature, everything. Everything that you would expect from a haunted house if you're told that that house is haunted. And I thought that was actually a really neat part of the study, and I kind of agree with that. Also, Terrence Hines, a professor of psychology at Pace University, he says that uh, people go in to what they expect to be a haunted house, and that word expect is really important here. So if anything happens, if you feel a chill or a little heat or feel something in your hair or there's a little noise or door creaks, no matter what it is, it's interpreted as evidence of some kind of paranormal event or hauntings. Again, it's all based on expectations. The next biggest thing is cultural psychology. This is when people take context cues from pop culture and apply them to real life scenarios. Because you get your ideas from horror TVs or ghost TV shows or horror movies or whatever you want to call it. Then when something happens, you go, oh, well, that's just like Poltergeist or, oh, that's just like uh, The Exorcist or whatever. So they expect that kind of stuff. Next, obviously, hallucinations. Someone seeing a spooky, transparent apparition, they could just be falling asleep, just getting out of sleep, or what they call the sense of presence or feeling of presence. It's a more mystical thing. It's a visual hallucination. And that's according to neurologist Olaf Blanc of the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. And he says, you are convinced that there is something, but you don't see anything, you don't hear anything. It's just an auditory hallucination or a visual hallucination, a, pho a phenomenon called promiscuous teleology. It's a fancy phrase that basically just means you're over-interpreting meaning and purpose around you. You're projecting your own personal stuff onto the situation. Hear a, crank, hear a creaky noise? It must be a ghost. One example is a young child who sees a tree fall in a house. Then we ask the child, why did the tree's limbs fall on the house? And they may say, well, the tree was angry at the house and hit the house. And when kids get angry, they hit. So it's just what you have, just what you feel. Next is electronic interference. This one's very obvious. You go looking for a ghost. Something weird happens on your camera. The battery drains. You see a dust orb, obvious bullshit orb. You immediately attribute it to the paranormal and not the electronic device itself. I've even been guilty of that. And finally, overlooking logical explanations. They go on to say, like, you see something move. That small object might have moved because of the vibrations from passing traffic. And this one I definitely agree with. There is a supposed haunted bar that I have a couple of friends that, that worked at it back in the day. One friend still works there. A couple of friends that used to work there. And they said, hey, man. There's a ghost behind the bar. He moves the bottles and shakes stuff and moves stuff. I went, oh, cool. I want to go down there. I want to check it out. When I went down there, me, this is Kurt. When I went down there, the traffic is so heavy right in front of there and vibrates so much that the bottles move. Now, when the bar has its music going and people are in there, you can't really tell that the traffic is moving stuff, is shaking stuff. But when it was nice and quiet when I was there, it was very obvious it was the traffic, but to them, nope, has to be a ghost. It just has to be a ghost. They overlook the logical explanations. Hence, the point of this podcast. I am a skeptical believer. I've had a lot of weird things happen to me that I can't logically explain. Some that 
I can't explain at all. But what's left, the stuff that you can't logically explain, that's the stuff that I'm going for. So I thought it was a very, very neat article. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. That about does it for Paranormal News. Let's take a quick break for a possible real ad. But guess what? That's the only ad on this episode. Alrighty, that's it. We are back. And that is the only ad for this episode. So like I said, October got away from me quite a bit. Work has been insane. Personal stuff happened. My buddy Mickey, who was a guest on this episode or on this uh, show, I think was the first episode. Um, and, and I've been on his podcast as well. He's a good buddy of mine. Well, he got married last night. So my Halloween was all about, and in fact, the week leading up to it was all about Mickey's wedding. So congratulations to Mickey and Kate. That was an amazing wedding. I had such a good time, but let's talk about some bizarre ghost stories. Not the typical, it's a ghost boo kind of stuff, but weirder ghost stories. And the first ghost story that I'm going to tell you about happened to myself and my buddy Sean at David Omen's house. That's right. The Omen house, the house at the end of Cielo Drive, where Sharon Tate, you know, the Sharon Tate murder house. You guys know all about this house. I'm actually going to be talking to David coming up very soon, doing another episode. So if you have any questions for David Omen that you want me to ask him, please send me a message on Facebook or email me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com or patrons. Just let me know right there on the Patreon. I will ask any questions that you guys have for David Omen. But so Sean and I were at David's house. We're just about ready to go downstairs and hang out with David for a little bit. And there, all right, so the house is like, we're in the kitchen. There's the front door. And then there's a side door from the garage into the house. Now, the garage door was closed. There was no way it was the, quote, wind, what is about to happen. So David and I, David, Sean, and I are talking. Sean and I are looking at this slide of Sharon Tate that David has. Very cool slide of her. Wow, that's really cool. Hand it back to David. David kind of throws it down on the table. Not in a bad way, but just kind of like throws it down on the table while we're talking. And boom, that door from the garage to the kitchen flies open. Not opens like, oh, it was a jar and the wind came by or a car drove by. Which, by the way, a car didn't drive by. I'm talking this door flew open with force. It was absolutely incredible. Sean and I just stopped and we're like, what the fuck? And then David turned around, kind of got frustrated because he was in the middle of telling us a story and the ghost derailed the story. But it was actually, it was such a really cool, very quick indication, at least to me and Sean, that something was with us that night. And we went and looked, there was nobody in the garage. The door was 100% closed. And if you tugged on that closed door, we could not duplicate that door opening let alone flying open. So the activity at David's house is definitely been increasing for whatever reason. And it was actually an incredible experience to have. Oh yeah, that's right. There is a ghost that will be joining us while we're hanging out at the Yeoman house. All right, that was just a quick little story. I hope you guys liked it. But this episode, again, is about kind of the weirder ghost stories. And first up, we have Elva Shue who was married to Edward Shue, who was the local blacksmith. So, 19th century. But, don't worry, there's proof of this. So her neighbor found Elva dead at the bottom of the stairs, and again, since this was the 19th century, 
there wasn't much of an autopsy and her death was listed as natural causes. Now, I assume they thought she fell down the stairs or something, but who knows? I mean, maybe they blamed tuberculosis or some old weird-ass 19th century thing. Fun fact, I found a website about weird 19th century deaths, so let's pause for a very quick second and run down a couple of the weird ones. You ready? Henry Taylor slipped and fell at the Green Cemetery while acting as a pallbearer. The coffin fell and crushed him to death in front of the party of mourners. Then, how about a man who died when a when a mouse ran up inside his clothes in the factory he was working at, it darted into his open mouth and killed him by biting and scratching at his tongue and throat. Then there was the circus clown who swung around a 13-year-old William Snyder by the feet until he expired of causes which were never accurately reported. Or this guy who grew a beard over five foot long was killed when he tripped on it. So there's a lot of weird 19th century death causes. The reason I bring that up, we're back. Weird, right? That was quick. The reason I bring that up is her death, the cause of her death, was an everlasting faint. That's it. Just an everlasting faint. I'm pretty sure that everlasting faint is just death. You just died. Then they changed it from everlasting faint to complications from pregnancy. Yep, that's it. So anyhow, Elva, boom, she died. So she's buried... And it turns out her husband had cradled her head and neck in mourning during the medical examination of her death and would actually yell at the coroners whenever they got too close to her. So not the best medical examination, if you will. Then the husband picks out her funeral clothes, including a high-necked dress and scarf, and dressed the body himself. I'm going to call it right now. He killed her. Let's see what happens. So Elva's mother, not being completely stupid like the medical team in that town, was convinced that Edward killed her daughter. And for the next four nights, Elva actually came to her mother in her dreams saying that, yep, Edward killed her. He crushed her neck when he didn't like her dinner. Look, I'm not the best cook, but... Seriously, just tell me if you don't like my food. You don't have to eat it. If I make you something and you're like, this sucks, just tell me and I'll order something in. We'll get a pizza or something. What you don't have to do is you don't have to crush my neck because of my poor cooking. All right, so in the dream, Elva convinced her mom that her spinal cord had been severe, had been severed, had convinced her mom that her spinal cord had been severed completely. How did she do this? Well, in the dream... Elva spun her head around, Linda Blair style, 180 degrees, and then walked away while staring at her mother from behind. So that seemed convincing enough to her mother. The mom gets a lawyer. Now somehow, the mom convinces the lawyer of everything that happened in the dream, and that Elva was murdered. The lawyer believes the mom somehow, gets the body exhumed, which... Thankfully, Edward was not there to mess with her neck. And boom, it became very obvious that Elva had indeed been murdered. And yep, her head or her spinal cord had been severed completely during the murder. So off to trial they go. And who's the star witness? Yep, the mom who describes in detail her dreams to the entire jury. And again, 
somehow convinces the jury that she's not crazy and that she's telling the truth about everything. This mom can do some serious convincing because, yep, they believed her and they convicted Edward. All right, how do we know this story is true? It's from the 19th century. How do we know it's true? Well, the case became famous as, quote, the only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. In fact, it's even emblazoned on a plaque celebrating Elva Shue, or as she's known on the plaque, Elva Zona Heaster. And the plaque reads, The Greenbrier Ghost. Interred in nearby cemetery is Zona Heaster Shue. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison. Only known case in which testimony from the ghost helped convict a murderer. So it's on a freaking plaque. How cool is that? Alrighty. Now you kind of get what I mean by weirder ghost stories. All these are going to be slightly different takes on that. Okay, so let's get a little bit more recent for this next one, because this next one took place in 2010. And that's when Australian psychic Cheryl Carol Lagerway... Is it Cheryl or is it Carol? Look, is this where Archer got the whole Cheryl Carol thing? I have no idea. But Cheryl Carol claimed she had a dream which showed her where to find the body of Keisha Abrahams, who was a missing six-year-old girl. So she wakes up and says, yep, let's see if there is indeed a dead little girl at the Nuragingi, Nuragingi Reserve. I'm sorry, Australians. I'm sure I butchered that. Okay, so she gets to the Nuragingi Reserve. Does she find Keisha? Kesha? Keisha? Nope. Alrighty, on to the next story. Oh, wait, hold on. I forgot. So she didn't find Keisha, but she did find a decomposing adult woman's torso wrapped in plastic right where she found the body in the dream. Now it turns out this area was a remote aboriginal reserve and the police suspected bodies were being dumped there. So just to wrap this up for the other part of the story, sadly, they did find the body of the little girl elsewhere. So I don't know what to make of this story. I don't know if a ghost did indeed tell this psychic where to find a body. And I don't know why the ghost didn't make it clear just which body she was going to find. But weird nonetheless, right? She found a decomposing adult woman's torso wrapped in plastic right where she saw this body in her dream. I don't know. It's weird. All right, this next one took place in 1977 when a hospital employee named Teresita Bassa was found dead in her apartment and it was a brutal, grisly death that I won't go into here because, frankly, it's not important to the story. Let's jump ahead to six months with no real leads. The police had no idea who had murdered Teresita. They only had, a, they only had like a journal entry found in the apartment that read, get tickets for AS and nothing else. Then, they get a call from an unknown person who said for them to check out Alan Showery, who also worked at the hospital. Well, fun thing, when you call the police, they can trace the call or track the call, and they did. So they went over to Jose and Remy Chua's house, where Jose and Remy went on to tell the tale of what happened to Teresita. They said that Alan Showery had been asked to fix Teresita's TV, and when he went to her apartment, he killed her and stole her jewelry. 
So the cops ask, um, okay, how do you know these very, very specific details? And Jose said that on three separate occasions, his wife had been possessed by Teresita and explained the details of the crime to them in detail. So the police check out Alan and boom. Fun fact, that creaking noise you just heard is, well, some say it's the roof. It's not the roof. We've had the, I've had the roof replaced. It's, um, I hear that often. It, to me, sounds like someone walking on my roof, except there would be no one on my roof. There's no floor above me or anything. It's literally just the roof above me. But that creaking that you hear is what I hear often whenever I talk about the ghost in my house or people come over and like, hey, is there a ghost in your house? What the hell was that noise? Why is someone walking out on the roof or whatever? So that little creaking that you've just heard is that uh, ghostly creaking that I hear in my house all the time. Could it just be the house settling? It might be. It's just, it always seems to happen in odd times or in specific times. So anyhow, I just wanted to throw that in here. Okay, back to the Kurt story part. So the police check out Alan and boom, they find Teresita's ring in his house. He pleads guilty almost immediately. And during his trial, Remy told the jury that Teresita, quote, spoke through my lips and that, quote, all I remember is hearing the name Alan. I just felt cold and thirsty. Okay, that seems kind of, the last part seems kind of weird, right? I just felt cold and thirsty. I get the cold part because, you know, she's dead now. Teresita's dead. But thirsty? Why are ghosts thirsty? I don't get that last part. But anyhow, up next are a couple of real quick ones. Let's go to 2013 and Adrian Dow, who killed Jennifer Stewart. Then right after he killed her, he went for a nice walk that was abruptly interrupted rudely by Jennifer's ghost. So he freaks out because he just killed this woman, goes for a nice walk, sees her ghost. I don't like that so much. So he goes to the police station and confesses to her murder. Next, January 2017, when Jose Ferreira confessed to a 1982 murder of 13-year-old Carrie Ann Jopic, or Hopic, which he said he had pushed her down a stairwell because she wouldn't have sex with him. So fuck everything about this guy. That guy's a fucking monster. But this guy confessed because he said he'd been haunted by Carrie's ghost since the day he killed her. He said he saw her everywhere and that she was judging him. Gee, you think so, you monster? Good for her. Way to keep on that haunting. Way to not be like, you know what? I'm sick of this monster. I'm going to go hang out with my family for a bit. No, keep on him. Get him to confess. So good on you, Carrie Ann. All right, next up, 2017 serial killer Terry Childs confessed to two murders while he was already in prison for killing three people. Now, he confessed because the ghosts of two more victims, Joan Mackey and Christopher Hall, were in his cell with him, staring at him and, quote, eating up his brain. I don't know how they did that, but good on them. Uh, the eating up his brain part. I get the whole staring at him, but the eating up his brain part, good on them. Okay, back to the 1800s for this next one, where Hans and Mrs. Muller, that's right, they don't ever give her name in any versions of the story I could find. Now, I really hate that. If you're going to have a story about two people, even if they're married, doesn't matter. Give both names. Don't just call her Mrs. Muller. That's, that's really disrespectful in my eyes. But anyhow, so Hans and Mrs. Muller moved to New Orleans from Germany 
and they start a sausage factory. Now, people came from all over to get a bite of Hans's sausages. They loved Hans's sausage. Well, Hans gets himself a young mistress who really loved his sausage. Now, he closes up shop one night, goes into the back room, and strangles Mrs. Muller with a cord, killing her. You guys all see what's about to happen, right? You guys know what's coming, right? If not, here's what happens. Well, Hans has to figure out a way to get rid of the body, so... Yeah, he makes Mrs. Muller's sausages. Customers start noticing that the sausages taste funny. Now, I gotta say, I don't believe that part of the story, but that's what every version says. Customers started complaining about the quality of the sausages. Then, a customer finds a piece of a gold ring in her sausage. Hans wasn't smart or quick enough to do like a Willy Wonka golden ticket kind of thing with the piece of ring. And the woman goes to the police. So the police show up to the shop, and instead of finding a regular Hans making sausage, they find him huddled in a corner of the shop, screaming at the sausage grinder. He immediately tells the police that Mrs. Muller was back. She emerged from the grinder, bloodied and mangled. Fun fact, Hans went insane, and to this day, there are reports of a strange woman haunting the old Hans Muller residence. So... If you're in New Orleans, I highly suggest you go to the old Hans Muller residence and do a paranormal investigation. But if they offer sausages there, just don't eat the sausages. Okay, up next, let's go to 1994 in Sacramento, California, where a woman wakes up and tells her husband they have to go for a drive right then and there. So they're driving down the highway when she finds what she was looking for. Quote, a nude woman lying near the shoulder of the road. The woman was positioned on her side, bent legs together, with an arm over her head. She was a ghastly pale and looked dead. End quote. So, the woman gets back in the car, they get to a phone booth, and they call the police. When the police arrive to the very spot, they can't find anything. No woman, no disturbances, no nothing. Cut to almost a week later, when another woman started having dreams about her niece and her niece's son in a car, in trouble. She tells the police where she thinks she saw the car in her dreams, and wouldn't you know it, it was the exact same spot as that odd vanishing naked woman. So the police go, well, hey, that's weird. And they actually start to search the area. When they search the area, they find a child shoe exactly where the naked ghost woman was seen. Then they look down the embankment, down a cliff, and find a wrecked car. In it, they find the niece, Christine, dead but clothed in the front seat. And even more shockingly, or miraculously, however you want to say it, in the back seat was her nude three-year-old son alive. He somehow managed to stay alive without food or water for almost a week. When they questioned the boy, he said, quote, a glowing white light hovering over the car along with a shadowy figure protected him. So that's crazy, right? A glowing white light and a shadowy figure somehow kept this boy alive throughout the days and the cold nights for almost a week. It's horrific that this boy was trapped in a car with his dead mother, but two different women, two different dreams, the exact same spot, and thankfully... The police believe them enough to do a thorough investigation of that spot. 
Next up, in 2002, janitor Rui Marquez was accused of murdering and raping a coworker, Lisa Poslins. Now, his DNA was taken, and since it wasn't a match for the killers, he was released. But Rui came back to the police and told them that Lisa's ghost had appeared to him while he was cleaning a conference room. He says the ghost pointed to a black table, and somehow he put it together that the ghost was trying to tell him that another janitor, Nelson, was the one who raped and murdered her. Why? Because Nelson always wore black. Yeah, that's what this guy got out of a ghost pointing to a black table. So, he tells the police, and they investigate Nelson, and they find out he's been harassing Lisa for months. So they get his DNA, bam, it's a match. Look, I'm glad that that guy got caught, but... Come on, Lisa's ghost. Just pointing to a black table is the worst ghost charades I have ever heard. All right, here's one that I can't verify at all. It's probably fake, but I like it, so here we go. It's about Preston the Ghost Dog. Every Halloween in Nashville, Belmont, Hillsboro, a ghost dog named Preston follows trick-or-treaters and keeps them safe. Apparently, this has been happening since 1962. Now, some witnesses have heard him barking on Halloween night. How they know it's Preston and not some random dog in the neighborhood, I don't know. Others say that if you walk too slowly or stop in the middle of the street, or stop in the middle of the street, an invisible dog will hit you again and again so you will not get injured by any car. An old man who lived in the neighborhood used to leave dog biscuits on the porch for Preston every Halloween night since 1962 he's been doing that. So, everyone in that neighborhood should be putting out dog treats for Preston every night, not just on Halloween. Let that ghost dog eat all the Scooby snacks he wants because that's cool as hell. I really like that one. In fact, I liked it so much, I wanted to search for another ghost dog story. Guess what I found? The next one comes from my home state of Michigan. It's called the Old Holly Hotel. People say they smell cigarette smoke and flowery perfume, voices, footsteps, knocking, oh, and a ghost dog named Leona, who was a real dog at one point, and the dog of the former owner of the hotel, Mr. Hurst. Now, guests describe the ghost dog as being like a terrier. Leona can be heard running through the hallways, and they feel Leona against their legs as they walk. Both guests and employees of the hotel have seen or felt Leona for years. I don't know why this is. Well, I know the first part. Look, I'm afraid of ghost kids. I think ghost kids are the scariest ghosts imaginable. Think about it. You see a ghost of an old lady. Whatever, it's a ghost of an old lady. But a ghost of a kid? It's just creepy for some reason. I'm sure it's because I like TV and movies, but it's just terrifying to think of kid ghosts. Like, disembodied laughter? Sure, it's a little creepy disembodied kids laughter fuck that that is scary but ghost dogs yeah that just seems cool to me obviously i don't want to be you know torn to shreds by a ghost dog but if they're just going to be like leaning up against me as i walk or nudging me across the street where a car's coming good on the ghost dog i will give ghost dog pets to any ghost dogs i come across they just seem cool and not scary to me Okay, how about a ghost that showed up for his own funeral? That seems nice, right? A young woman from New York claims that her father appeared at his own funeral after he passed away from hypothermia. 
She says, quote, When I was at his wake, I was standing in front of my older sister. I was looking towards the casket when I had the urge to look behind me. To my surprise, I saw my father standing with his arms folded across his chest. He was wearing the leather vest I now have hanging in my closet. It was him. After this sighting, the dad came to tell her that he's okay now. I think it's a really nice, you know, wrap up to something. All right, this next one also involves a dog, but of the living variety. A woman was in bed with her dog when the ghost of her stepmother visited at 2 a.m. She says, I heard someone whisper, hey. As I opened my eyes, I saw a figure kneeling beside my bed. I screamed bloody murder. Upon noticing who the figure was, I calmed down. I believed that it was my stepmom. I laid my head back down as she sat there smiling and petting my dog. What's up, I asked. She didn't answer. Did you just want to say goodnight to Mopsy, I asked, to again, no answer. I opened my eyes and sat up. The figure I believed to be my stepmom disappeared as I viewed her from a different angle. So, you know, that's sweet that the stepmom just wanted to visit the dog, but it does kind of suck for the woman who sat there being ignored by a ghost. So, it's a sweet story, but how about you just, like, smile and nod or answer her for fuck's sake. All right, now this next ghost is the kind of ghost that I want. The kind of ghost I need. This one happened to the Nutt family, N-U-T-T, Nutt family in Uppingham, England. When 18-year-old Anne began seeing a strange ghost who was saying that something was hidden in their house. So the entire family starts searching the house, but they couldn't find anything. Well, eventually, her parents stopped looking and just thought her daughter had a weird dream or whatever. Then Anne got visited by the same ghost, who this time did a much better job of telling her where that something was hidden. It actually showed her a flagstone to check under. So Anne went to that flagstone, turned it over, and the family found a black pot underneath. But it gets better, because not only did the family find an old, dirty black pot, but inside it was almost 200 silver coins. Yep, 200 silver coins and a black pot. Take that, Lisa Poslum's ghost who could only point at a black table. This family got way more than that. So next time you're doing ghost charades, be really specific. And if you do see a ghost doing ghost charades, just don't give up. Don't be like, black table, yeah, I get it. Ask for more clues and you might find 200 silver coins and a black pot. Alrighty, this next one I found on a forum but it was just so good that I thought I would share it. So I really, really hope that it's true. It says, This started when I was a kid living not too far from Melbourne, Australia. As a kid, many strange things happened to me and my family. Of course, being from an extremely skeptical family, just about everything was passed off as being our imaginations or just given simple explanations such as shadows and the like. For me, the three most memorable instances that occurred were... 1. That time when I saw a white cat walking up our hall past our lounge room. We never had a white cat, nor could we ever find traces of one. In quotes, the cat will appear later. Two, whilst playing in the backyard, I heard my mother call me inside. As I approached, I could see the shadow of a man walk across the kitchen through my window. Of course, a few seconds later, when I got inside, there was no one there, and my mother had been out, of the, had been out the front the whole time and never called me. Three, just before we moved to our country, nope, three, just before we moved to the country, I was punished for destroying my bedroom. 
including splattering black ink or paint dots all over the walls and ceiling. I had, been, I had not been near my room for many hours and had no idea how or what happened. But let's face it, who believes an eight-year-old when this sort of thing happens? So that is the background of my life. There are many, there are of course many other things such as doors opening and closing on their own no matter where we were and the likes of that. Jump the clock about 15 years and I'm now happily engaged with a girl who claims to be partially psychic and having psychic friends. She can sense things around me. Yes, doors are mysteriously open and closing all these years later and invites a couple of her friends around to see what they can sense. Being curious but skeptical, I go along with it when they tell me that I'm being followed by three spirits or beings. Two are children who give them, in their words, the heebie-jeebies. And the third, a more sinister one. For me, life went on. The strange, odd things happen along the way. Remember that white cat? I still swear my mother hit a white cat in her car a couple of years ago, but we could never find anything. And no more is thought about it until today. It has been nearly 18 years since I broke up with my fiance. Yet today at work, a very nice lady whom I've never met before and claims to be able to see spirits within 15 minutes of meeting me turned around and told us that I was being followed by the spirits of two children who were giving her the creeps. Yes, she actually said the heebie-jeebies. I was shocked and taken aback as I had never before spoken to anyone about this. So now I have to wonder who they are, what do they want, what is their connection to me? I'm still skeptical in part, but now have to recognize there must be something there. I don't want to upset them talking about this as they've done nothing untoward towards me. There have been many times in my life when something bad is happening, I have inexplicably suddenly found myself feeling calmed and almost comforted. Was this perhaps them? All I know is today I believe what I've been told and really would like to know more. Who are these children following me? Why are they following me? Who are these children following me? Why are they following? Most importantly, why? I think those are great questions without any answers. You gotta love that kind of stuff. There was no follow-up from this post in the forum, which really bummed me out because I would love to find out more. I couldn't find a way to message this person to be like, hey, come on my show. I want to talk to you about these two kids and that evil last thing that's following you. Also, I'm hoping you meant you saw the white cat again later on when you were driving with your mother and you thought she hit the car or she hit the cat with the car, but then you got out of the car and there was no cat. Your white cat story was a little bit off, but ultimately I thought it was a really cool story from a supposed skeptic. So again, I hope it's true. I have no way of verifying if it's true or not, but I'd like to believe it is. All right. So this is a little bit shorter episode. I hope you guys don't mind that, but I wanted to get it out today the day after Halloween. Still celebrating Halloween as far as I'm concerned. There are still listener ghost stories episodes coming up, a premonitions episode coming up, another ghost episode coming up. I've got a lot more to tell you. I got a lot more episodes coming up. I've got a few interview uh, episodes that I'm still trying to pin down exactly, but hopefully they're coming up very, very soon. So what do you guys think? If you woke up to a dream, of, if you had a dream about finding a dead body, would you wake up and drive over to that location or would you wake up and go, well, that was a weird dream. And if you did go to that location and you saw a dead body and then that dead body disappeared before the police got there, would you investigate that location? I would like to think that I'd be like, well, that was weird. 
something's got to be there. I'm going back tomorrow in the daylight and I'm checking out this spot and not just go, I don't know, I was weird, I'm gonna go home now and wait for another person to have another dream before you find this poor dead woman's body. Really freaking weird. Alrighty, remember, ghost charades are played best when you give really good clues. So for the living, ask for better clues. For the ghost listening to this episode, give better clues. And if some ghost could tell me where I could get some treasure or maybe just give me the lotto numbers, I would definitely appreciate that. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvik. This has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Gonna eat up the day. So there's an idea, we should give.